Hey everybody, Fred here with a little Halloween treat on the Dark Tome feed. I really appreciate all of you who've written in about how eager you are to hear more of the show. I am excited to announce today there will be more Dark Tome. Uh, You will have to hang on until early next year for it. In January 2021, Dark Tome's third season, called Undertow, will premiere as a binge-listening audio event exclusive to Stitcher Premium. Undertow is a standalone audio movie set in the Dark Tome universe. After the events of Dark Tome Season 2, the world's struggling to understand what exactly happened to the Dark Tome and why a murky international megacorporation wants to build a new multi-million dollar facility in the small town of Simpson Falls, Maine. Enter Tony Baxter, an investigative reporter from the Boston Circle. Tony heads there to learn the small town secrets, but instead finds himself forced to confront a childhood trauma and the ghosts of the past that come with it. Dark Tome Undertow was recorded under lockdown this past summer and features an incredibly talented cast based all across the United States with stunning, gritty sound design and a full original orchestral score. Super excited to share more details, the trailer, and all that good stuff with you. Expect an update later this year. For now, here is a treat from Halloween of Days Gone By. Now, back in 2009, when uh, all of us inhabited a very different world, I brought a troupe of actors out to an unused lighthouse on the coast of Maine to record an on-location rendition of the classic 1940s radio play, Three Skeleton Key. It's a story about how things can go horribly wrong when you're stuck inside, so it felt rather apropos to reshare it in 2020. Enjoy Three Skeleton Key. Final Room Productions presents, in collaboration with Mad Horse Theatre Company, Three Skeleton Key by George Tudors, adapted for radio by James Poe. Picture this place. A gray, tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 feet wide. And that's at low tide. At high tide, just the light, rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water, gray, green, scum-dappled, warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish. Great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war and, yes, sharks. The big ones, the 15-footers. And if this wasn't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went. And up. Yes, up and up, round and round, past the tanks of oil and coils of rope, cases of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cartons and cans, and up and up and up, round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept, and over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of a rotary mechanism. 
At night, you lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with the light revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, using her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. It wouldn't be bad. The other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste, <laughs> what a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that, I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. Silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was... John, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You're getting to be as bad as Auguste. I thought maybe for once they'd send me somebody who could keep his mouth shut. That was Louis, and when he accused me of becoming like Auguste, I quieted down, because Auguste was the talkingest man I ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous, horrible, the way we used to scare the audience. I, I was hated. Yes, yes. Oh, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Oh, finally it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theatre. My nerves, you understand. Yes, I gave it up completely. I really did. I, I couldn't stand it a moment longer. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was, a three-master, a big one, about a half mile off, coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and the ships kept clear, but this one, this sailing vessel was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled down, Louis! Louis! Huh? What is it? Ship headed for the reefs! I'm coming right up. I had the glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Yeah. Well, can't she see us? Well, look at her. She just keeps coming on. The square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch, north, northwest. Ah, I know. I know what it is. What? The Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance. You ghastly galleon, haggard and cursed driven must drive on. And ah, on. shut up, will you? Yeah, she's luffing. Yes. It's a sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. Crew left her for some reason or another. But instead of sinking, she's gone on running before every wind. Uh, she'll not run long, not with those reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she luffed again, caught some odd gusts, and went about. 
We watched her the rest of those black hours, healing and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief. She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? Mm. This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here, take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. Was it your... I had to focus. And then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no mi I don't know. In an estimable number of tremendous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. Hey, what are you two doing, eh? Oh, here, let me have a look. Yes, give them the glasses. Take a good look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. If she's going to turn, she better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes, yes it is. Well, where's all the conversation, Auguste? Huh? Here, you want the glasses again? You want another look? No, 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 no. She's still coming on. No, go away, go away. Turn, will you? Turn, I say. I pray you turn. Cracked up. Oh, the rats look on the water like a carpet. They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're swimming for the rocks. Uh, the door below, it's open. Huh? Well, uh, come on. Yes. And down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three, four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. Auguste, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb, we don't know. Right, Chief, but hurry, hurry. Look at them. You see them? No. Oh, yes I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at them. Millions. Ah, uh, they smell us. Here they come. Well, close the door. I can't. It's stuck. Here, let me... Uh, made it. Holy, that was close. Look, one got in. Look there. Well, get him. Watch it. Kick him. What a brute. Uh, he was big as a tomcat. Bigger, and his eyes were wild and red, his teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for a starving, ravenous, and we fought him. Fought that one rat all over the room. It was, oh, believe me, I don't exaggerate, it was like fighting a panther. I got it. We better get aloft. Yeah. As we ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows of the various levels, and at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Oh, will you look at them? Whoa, will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you just look at them? There, when the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them, the light was dim, brown, filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about us. We couldn't see the sky. Nothing. Nothing but them, their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling, hairy snouts, and their teeth. The rats, they screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving, and we three... We stood very quietly, oh, very, very quietly, in the center of the glass room, under our beautiful light, and we waited. Oh, what can we do? Oh, what can we do, Chief? Take it easy. Take it easy. Oh, I can't. I, I just can't. Won't do any good... Won't do any good to just stand here and shake. That's right. Go away. Go away, do you hear me? Go away this instant. They won't go away. 
Not until. Finish it, Chief! Not until what? Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror and then get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass, they could see us, they could rush at us, but that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below, more rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright, tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. If only it drowned some of them. Oh, ships, rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir, you can't drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Say, what's the time? Quarter to six. You've got first watch, Sean. Right. Wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Auguste. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught them, lit them in their gigantic, wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. And then I started the rotary motor. The light drove them mad. As she swung slowly and smoothly about, she blinded them in the fierce, stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, ever turning, ever touching, ever moving around and around. And they, twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light, the bright, moving light. And behind, on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dared not turn my back. It can't help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you couldn't see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank, red lights, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. When I came up into the gallery early the next morning, there stood Auguste, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. Ah, my dear, dear audience, I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the Paris theater, Prelat, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. <laughs> I am he who did guide the dark soul of De Rochelle into the nether part. <laughs> Do not be frightened, little children. No, I will not hurt you much. <laughs> he kept turning. I stood staring at him, horror-struck. But he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. Auguste! Auguste! Ah, another one, a latecomer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. Auguste, <laughs> stop it! Ginger, stop it! The bloodstained monster was my partner in iniquity. Together, we disemboweled over 400 little children. Well, he didn't stop, he went on, bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arms and slapped his face. He looked at me like a child, and then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below. Go on. Oh, very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today, forget not. <laughs> sure, he was crazy, but I guess we all were. A 
few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes, sounds horrible. It was fun. We would get up right against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louie was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. <laughs> the rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall the 110 feet to the surf below. Look! Look at the sharks! They're eating them. Those sharks are our friends! Ah! Here! Here! I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> here, my beauties. Ah, that's it. Pile up. Kill each other, huh? <laughs> there they go. Auguste joined in too. Very ingenious Auguste. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait! In rats! It went on all day. And then, I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired. I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. Couldn't figure it out at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked out, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louie, come quick! What? What they, is it? They found a way in. I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy and assured of the success of this maneuver were nibbling away at the wood. Louie ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. He spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy body thudding against the other side as the window gave way. There, that ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin? No, they can't. What was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Off the trap. Right. Two of them got in. Let's go after this. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I left to one side and grabbed a marlin like swung and smashed one in midair. Ah! I whirled to see Louis with the other, and it ripped his hand open, and the blood was pouring out. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped in, swung, and got him. Oh, my hand! He got my hand! That's both of them, Louis. I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood. Look at it. My blood. I'm bleeding. Don't worry about it, Louis. Here, I'll wind this handkerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. There. There, that, that's not bad. It's just the flesh. And then I became conscious of a new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fascinated. And even as I did, it began to give way and a bristling, whiskery nose shone through. Louie, we, we've got to go up. The next level was the living quarters in the kitchen. I slammed the door. But it too was wood. My blood. What are we going to do? I don't know. They'll be through this one in a minute. The gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. <laughs> Made it. We lay across the trap door, exhausted. While below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. 
the morning the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we've been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off, and so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. And the hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. Would you like to come in, my beauties? Would you? <laughs> I held the powers of life and death. A ghost was standing by the glass, and in one hand, he held a big wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet and slowly, very slowly, tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little hard. I found a coil of wire in the toolkit, and I trussed him up. Fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side, looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company, and all about, watching our little drama, the rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another twelve days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. And we had only one way of summoning them. That was to shoot off distress rockets. But the rockets were four floors below. And even if they had been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night I tended to the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day we lay thirst-tormented, starving, waiting. And the following night I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted. And quite suddenly, at about midnight, the light went out. There was nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. And when I did, it lit up the million red eyes about us, all about watching, waiting. Below it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out. And now, they too were waiting, all waiting. Then, the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky, and the stars, and the rats were gone. I went to the glass, out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently toward us. Our light was out. They, they didn't know. I, I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but I was afraid. What if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef, not two hundred yards from the quay grounded so gently that the man playing the coronet, see a passenger, crewman off watch, didn't even stop playing. I tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free, and, and I waited. And that's all. That's the story. The sun came up, there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us. Gone back to sea on their new ship. Auguste? Insane asylum. He never recovered. And Louis? They took him to Cayenne, where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Yes, that's the whole of it. And if you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. <laughs> no, no. Mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. 
Life in the lights isn't bad, but sometimes when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous. Sure, somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Three Skeleton Key was written by George Tudaz and adapted for radio by James Poe. This production was inspired by the classic old-time radio play that aired on Escape. Three Skeleton Key was produced and directed by Fred Greenhalgh, starring Burke Rimmer as Jean, Craig Bowden as Louis, Philip Hobby as Auguste, field recordist Randall Farr, musical score by Barb Truex. This production was recorded on location at Goat Island Lighthouse in Cape Porpoise, Maine, September 2009. Special thanks to the Kennebunkport Conservation Trust and lighthouse keepers Scott and Karen for use at the facility. For more information on Final Rune Productions, and to hear our other plays, including more old-time radio plays created in collaboration with Madhorse Theatre Company, please visit our website, www.finalrune.com. That's www.finalrune.com. And to learn more about the Madhorse Theatre Company, visit their website, www.madhorse.com. Thanks for listening. And that was Three Skeleton Key. I have a few more audio plays in that vein if you want to check out my personal artistic website, finalrune.com, F-I-N-A-L-R-U-N-E.com. Uh, you'll find some of my early works in radio drama, a ton of behind-the-scenes photos and videos of the project I've done, and a free uh, five-part online course on making audio fiction. If you like what you've heard in the Dark Tome and want to make your own stuff, I'd recommend you check that out, again, fully for free, at finalrune.com. And that's all today. Thanks so much for listening. Be in touch soon with more Dark Tome.